for a time when we really need it. What it'll do is it'll bite its tail and turn into a hoop and roll down the street after you. King of Far Island, you strong? We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. Tall tales, fairy tales, folk tales, personal and family tales, and more. And it's going to be a great hour today. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's always my pleasure to be with you and to have you bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. You know, stories have an amazing power to bring people together. Sometimes it helps us understand other people and their perspective to hear a great story. Sometimes it allows us to share experiences and build relationships. It's a powerful tool storytelling can be when placed in the correct hands and used wisely. Right? And you're in good hands today. You're going to hear from Joel Ben Izzy, the wonderful Bay Area storyteller, with uh, uh, a little piece, kind of a medley of pieces of tall tales that you're going to enjoy. You're also going to hear from Nora Dooley and Issue Bumpus. You're going to hear a story from him called Animals Make a Water Hole. You'll hear a little something from Willie Claflin, too. But first, we thought we'd bring you this piece from the Story Crafters, the storytelling duo of Barry Marshall and Jerry Burns, Ph.D. They've produced 12 award-winning recordings in addition to being healing storytellers at a psychiatric hospital and adjunct faculty at multiple learning institutions. They have a history in radio as well. And, of course, they perform stories together in tandem in their inimitable musical rhythmic style all over the country, all over the world. The story we have from them today is a family story. Now, the family in this story isn't a traditional family. It's three girls raised by their grandmother. And as they grow up, they always have to chop wood for the fireplace. But there's always a bundle of sticks that their grandma won't let them burn. And they can't figure out why until much later in their lives. Here are the story crafters, Jerry Burns and Barry Marshall, with a story called The Bundle of Sticks. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. This is a story about an old grandmother who was raising her three granddaughters because their parents had died. They lived together on a little farm. Those three granddaughters thought that their grandmother was the wisest woman in the whole entire world, except for one thing. You see, she had something in her house that was a great mystery to those three granddaughters. And this is a story about that mysterious object. Every night after supper, that grandmother went into the living room. She sat down in a big rocking chair and she covered her lap with an old Afghan quilt. She put her old gnarled hands down on her lap and she waited for the three granddaughters to come in, sit on the floor at her feet, and listen. And then... That grandmother would tell stories. She would tell old stories about the days when she was growing up as a little girl. And those three granddaughters, they thought that those stories were just the wisest stories they'd ever heard in their life. But there was one chore that those three granddaughters had to do before they could hear those stories. It was their job to light the fire in the hearth. 
and normally it was not a very big job because they would walk across the living room floor and look next to the hearth where there was a basket. Now if that basket had kindling wood in it, then their job was very easy because all they had to do was put the kindling wood into the hearth around the log and light it. But if that kindling basket was empty, then those girls had to go out into the night to find more kindling wood. And it was on those nights that those girls would wonder about their grandmother's mysterious object. You see, the object was a bundle of sticks. It was tied in a red ribbon, and it sat on the mantel above the hearth. And those girls would point up to that bundle of sticks on the mantel and say, Grandmother, Grandmother, why can't we use those sticks tonight? And the grandmother would raise up one old gnarled hand, point at that bundle of sticks on the mantelpiece, and she would say, That bundle of sticks... We must save for a time when we really need it. And on nights when an autumn chill was in the air, or when bitter winter snows fell, or even when the cold spring rains wet the earth, if that kindling basket was empty, those girls would raise their hands up and point to that bundle of sticks. Now, Grandmother, isn't tonight a night when we really need them? And their grandmother would always do the same thing, raise that hand up, point at those sticks. No, that bundle of sticks, we must save for a time that we really need them. And so, season after season after season passed, and those girls never found out what those sticks were for. And those seasons turned into years, and those girls grew up into young women... And as happens, one by one by one, those young women moved out of their grandmother's house. They got married, they had children, they had careers, they set up lives of their own. But something happened when they grew up. When they were girls, they were friends. They fought sometimes, they argued, but they always made up, and they were friends again. But now, as adults... It seemed as if their opinions maybe grew stronger. When they fought or argued, they didn't make up as easily. And they fought more often. In fact, it got to the point that they finally said, Oh, maybe we just shouldn't talk so much anymore. And so they didn't. They still went to visit their grandmother, but they always went alone. They never went together. And their grandmother saw this happening. She grew worried... She was getting sick more often. She knew that she wouldn't be around that much longer. So one day, she invited her three granddaughters, those young women, to come to her house. But she didn't tell them that she had invited them to come at the same time. And when those three girls arrived at their grandmother's house, they would have flown into arguing right then and there. Except that their grandmother was sitting in that old chair with that afghan upon her lap. And without thinking, those girls were back in their childhoods again. They crossed the living room floor, they walked over to the hearth, and they checked the kindling basket. Ah, they breathed a sigh of relief, for it had kindling wood in it. And so they lit the fire in the hearth, 
and then without even thinking they turned back around and walked across the living room and sat down at their grandmother's feet three grown women waiting for a story and it was then that they noticed it the bundle of sticks it wasn't on the mantelpiece it was sitting in their grandmother's lap she reached down and she picked up that bundle of sticks she undid the red ribbon and she let the sticks fall all over that afghan quilt they spread themselves out and the grandmother said each one of you take the strongest stick that you can find and so the girls did as their grandmother told them to they reached into her lap rummaged around and found the biggest thickest fattest stick now each of you try to break that stick so the girls put one end of the stick in one palm and the other end of the stick in their other palm and snap 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 those sticks broke very easily then the grandmother spoke again she said now each of you girls take another stick from this pile and give it to me Once again they did as they were told they reached into her lap and this time they gave her any old stick The grandmother took those three sticks and she tied the red ribbon around them then she handed those three sticks to the oldest granddaughter Now try to break those three sticks And so the oldest granddaughter took that small bundle of sticks in her hand She pushed the ribbon out of the way so that it wouldn't hinder her efforts. Then she put the end of the bundle in the palm of one hand and the other end in the palm of the other hand, and she tried to break them. Then she passed the sticks to the second granddaughter who also tried to break them. And then she passed them to the youngest daughter who also tried to break them. And those sticks bent and flexed but they wouldn't break then the grandmother spoke again you know people are a lot like those sticks life will throw many things at us many hardships and if we try to face those alone we will break but if we stand together and we help each other life may bend us and flex us but it won't break us time passed again and the grandmother passed away as well those three young women went on with their lives only now they spoke with each other and from that day on each one of those young women kept a bundle of sticks on the mantelpiece just in case a time should come that their children should ever really need them the story crafters jerry burns and barry marshall with a life lesson in a story called the bundle of sticks 
a lesson about how we're stronger together than we ever are alone. And that harp that you heard was played by Jerry Burns. She often plays the harp in performance as she and Barry perform. And uh, it's a pleasure to bring you that tale. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with a lot more stories coming up this hour from Joel Ben-Izzy, from Nora Dooley, from Ishu Bumpus, Willie Claflin, and more. If you won't want to miss a word, I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. There's a lot to come yet. We've got a story from Joel Ben-Izzy coming up called Short Snippets of Tall Tales. You're going to hear The Old Horse and the Bell of Justice from Nora Dooley. You'll hear a story from Ishu Bumpus called Animals Make a Water Hole. And you'll hear Ka'ulu the Strong, a legend told for you by Willie Claflin. But thinking about that story from the story crafters about how we're stronger together than we ever are alone reminds me about how sometimes we look at the things that are going on around us or in our own lives and we despair that life will ever win, that things will ever get better, that good will triumph. And those thoughts have brought a memory to mind that I'd like to share with you. How about an entry in the Radio Family Journal? The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. It's been a few years since the release of the Peter Jackson film versions of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books, so I was a little taken aback, a little rusty, when my friend called. Her 12-year-old son wanted to see the Lord of the Rings films, and she, wisely, I think, had asked him to read the books first. She hadn't read the books herself, but now her son had and wanted to see the movies, and she was looking for a recommendation as to whether her son would like the films, and more pointedly, whether she would like her son to like the films. I told her that I thought she was smart to encourage her son to read the books. I said that because, though the images in those films have worked themselves into pop culture to the degree that they're no longer shocking, I remember seeing the films with my very young son and characterizing some moments as scary beyond belief. I also told her that when it comes down to it, and though I know those films are beloved, Peter Jackson is no J.R.R. Tolkien, and the books breathe with a life that I didn't see on the screen. There's a depth of theme in the books, a strength of spirit, an unassailable hope that I didn't see on the screen. Your mileage may vary. Anyway, my friend and I talked about the books on the phone, and when I put the receiver down, I found myself gravitating toward the bookshelf toward my own well-loved copies of the books. These were copies that my dad had owned for years, and they're the copies in which I had first discovered those stories. My dad had given me those old copies of his as a Christmas present one year, and when I take one down off the shelf, I open not only Tolkien's story, but also lots and lots of memories about my dad. Anyway, I opened to a scene in Return of the King. Frodo, the ring-bearer, has been captured by orcs. Samwise Gamgee, his heartbreakingly loyal companion, after a desperate search for a way to rescue his beloved friend, has finally, in sheer exhaustion, despaired. He sits down on the steps of the orc stronghold and finds himself unable to do anything but sort of weep out a song. 
and this is what he sings. Though here at journey's end I lie, in darkness buried deep, beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, above all shadows rides the sun, and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. The character finds strength in the song, and I myself find strength in the truth of it. It's easy sometimes to look around and see nothing but darkness winning. But we, of all people, know, don't we, that it can't? And that reminder was welcome, that the domain of the Creator is vast, and it would take more than the combined malice of all that is evil in men and the combined submission of all that is good in men for any adversary to ever lay claim to much more than a negligible corner of it. Samwise discovers that, even though he has despaired of preserving his own life or the life of his friend in the struggle. I have but to open my eyes to learn the same thing, and the wider I open them, the clearer the truth becomes. I look around and see that life wins, life wins somehow, even though death happens. Life wins somehow, even though winter comes. Life wins, even though tragedy strikes. And so I find myself singing along with Samwise Gamgee, and may I always have the courage to see the truth, that beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, Above all shadows rides the sun, and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. And, of course, before that, you heard the bundle of sticks from the story crafters, Jerry Burns and Barry Marshall. There's a lot coming up. We're going to hear from Joel Ben-Izzy in just a little bit with something that he calls short snippets of tall tales, something you're sure to enjoy. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways through the tellings of tales again and again around the kitchen table or around the living room or around the campfire, through the things that we choose to see on screen or through the great music that we digest and that becomes part of us. In speaking of digesting, even the food that we eat together and alone makes for stories. We call those zip files, right? You touch a meal that you've had and it unfolds into a story that was a lot bigger than the meal. And, of course, that's the story behind books as well. Books spark memories for us. And, of course, the stories in the books get down into our hearts as well. And we're always happy to talk about all of the ways in which great stories get down into our hearts and minds. And uh, we love to do it with friends. I've got Paul Ricks with me behind the microphone. Paul, it's great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you. We've talked a lot about a lot of great books in the past, and we're about to talk about another one. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um the one for today is Rebecca Stead's When You Reach Me. Hmm. Um, this is a, a Newbery winner, so the yeah. premier literary award for you know given by the American Library Association. And it's one of only three novels 
science fiction novels that have ever gotten this award. Huh. So sci-fi is not beloved in for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe it's a hard sell for teachers, for librarians. Sure. I, I don't know. It, you know, so uh, such a popular idiom, right? Yeah, with science fiction. Right. But but we have trouble with it in. We have trouble with it at the Academy Awards. We oh have trouble yeah, yeah, with, yeah, you know, yeah. It's 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 a little tough for people to say. Let's give the award to that one right. for some like, reason. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so it's it's only won the award a handful of times. There's Wrinkle in Time, yeah, which I think a lot of people will be familiar sure. with, and then yeah. uh, Lois Lowry's The Giver, yeah. the dystopian novel, and right. then this one is a kind of science fiction that might be called um, not soft sci-fi, but maybe like slipstream, meaning the story is set in the late 70s. Hmm. And if to the lay reader, myself included, I thought I was just reading kind of a little bit of historical fiction. You yeah. Know, I was just like, oh, this is really interesting. It's set in New York in 1978, you know, 79, something like that. And then halfway through the book, I was like, whoa, just kidding. It's not. This is a time travel novel. And I didn't know it. <laughs> um, and then... It, it just everything came together for me where the the characters I was thinking of them differently are, are, am I seeing older versions of these characters are these younger versions of the characters are they indeed the uh. same characters and maybe in the same way that back to the future messes with us yeah and yeah. and we sit there trying to think through could this happen what would I do if it happened um, the characters I don't know. They're they're just very relatable. They're very well crafted in the sense that we are given step by step more and more of their attributes and characteristics, so we know who they are. Yeah, and we start to maybe empathize and sympathize with some who've got the less comely parts. Sure, because sure. we've been given their good parts versions first. Yeah, instead yeah. of just hey, this is the old guy who's mean. It's the old guy who's mean, but maybe there's a reason. Huh. And hey, this is the girl who you know is trying to find herself, and maybe that makes her relatable or not. But no, 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 no. This is the, old, the young girl who's trying to find herself, and she's she's got some yeah. some in, increased depth behind the scenes. So set up the plot for us just a little sure. bit. You open the book and you meet Miranda, yeah. and Miranda um, is writing a letter. It's an epistolary novel, right? Yeah. Where it's a series of letters, and it, it sounds like she's just writing to her diary. Hmm. But maybe halfway through, we find out. Wait, wait, wait! She's not just writing to her diary. She is writing to somebody from what is the future to her hmm. who has already been in her life as that older person. Huh. And he has left her a note in her room saying, hey, keep telling me your story. Yeah. But give me a lot of the details because I'm already part of it. And then it's this loop upon loops upon loops. Huh. Wait, if she is writing to him. And he has already responded by giving her this letter. Yeah. Then does she have to write the letter? <laughs> and if if so, oh wait, she already has written the letter. What does that mean? And these yeah. loops upon loops where the back of your head just blows clear off. So <laughs> it's cool. Which is what we're after. Yeah. That's what we want. Backs of our heads blown off. <laughs> Something that a good friend of mine and I, we were talking through, it came up because of this book, but it also just fit the natural rhythms of our life. And we were talking about how... Um, Sometimes we use the phrase, you know, I don't think I ever would have been their friend except, yeah. and there's this semi-contrived thing that brought them together. They were volunteering for the same thing. Their kids were on the same team. They met each other at the bus stop, whatever it is. Like, I never would have been their friend except. And then we talked about the sadness that that brought to us where we were kind of saying, how quick 
are we to make these judgments? Yeah. And how often are we missing out on these amazing opportunities to connect human to human? Yeah. Because something on the facade, for whatever reason, doesn't resonate. And we say, oh, no, I, I can't. Yeah. You know, they listen to this, whereas I listen to, or they <laughs> wear this, whereas I wear. And then we peel back these layers and we're like, oh how much do I have to learn through yeah. this experience and how, how amazing is it um, that we're really connecting on this level? I, again, that, that phrase, I never would have been their friend except it, it's terrifying. It's tough, or, huh? That once you get to know somebody and have a really rich experience with them and then you look them in the eye and say, this almost didn't happen. Right. You know, that's, a, that's, that's where, the, that's where the, 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 the gratitude for the, for the happenstance comes, right? Right. And that's, that's what happens kind of time and time again. Not in a, in a way that you think, oh, come on, author, what are you doing? This has been done time and <laughs> time again. I think, it's, I think it's really beautifully crafted. But it is... There are these micro crashings, seeing yeah. insignificant bumps, literal bumps where people bump into each other and like, oh, yeah. yeah, but that doesn't matter. But maybe it holds the key to, to so many other pathways. That are Often we have a conversation about a picture book. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit longer. This is a novel. This is, yeah, as you couple, mentioned, a Newbery Award winner. Right. A couple hundred pages. Yeah. Still, though, uh, written for young audiences. So if, if you want to feel really smart, you know, you can burn <laughs> through this thing pretty quickly. But um, – but it's also one that I think would probably be very approachable for maybe uh, maybe the 10 to 14-year-old audience hmm. yeah. where they could see themselves in the protagonists. Sure. Yeah. Um, though, of course, younger if it was being read to or older if we just want to take a little stroll down sure. nostalgia or amnesia yeah. lane. So. <laughs> the book is When You Reach Me, the author. Rebecca Stead. Rebecca Stead. What a pleasure always to have you with us, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, including, of course, the great books that we make a part of our lives. And it's always a pleasure to chat with Paul Ricks. We look forward to another conversation soon. Now, coming up, we've got a story from Joel Ben-Izzy called Short Snippets of Tall Tales. It's coming up right after a break. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, a conversation with Paul Ricks, an entry in the Radio Family Journal, and at the top of the hour, a story from the Story Crafters, a story called The Bundle of Sticks, about how we're stronger together than apart. Coming up now, a story called Short Snippets of Tall Tales, a story told for you by Joel Ben-Izzy. It's always a pleasure to share with you one of Joel's pieces. Here's Joel on The Appleseed. A lot of people come and they hear me tell stories. They say, you must have grown up with stories all around you. And that's sort of true and sort of not true. I grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles. And we used to drive around a lot. We spent a lot of days, long mornings, afternoons, evenings, driving the Plymouth Belvedere station wagon all back and forth all across town. And we'd try to 
shorten the ride by saying, Mom, tell us a story. And she'd say, well, a story. She'd say, you know, your grandpa, Izzy, he used to be a great storyteller. He was a wonderful storyteller. This was her father, my grandpa, Izzy. We said, yeah, tell us one of the stories he told you. She said, let's see. He used to tell a story about Cousin Evie's matzo balls. Yeah, what about Cousin Evie's matzo balls? He said that Cousin Evie's matzo balls were wonderful. Uh Uh-huh. He used to talk about how high they bounced. Great, how high did they bounce? She said, it was a wonderful story. We used to laugh and laugh. I loved hearing those stories all day long. Tell them, tell them. But as much as we heard about these stories, we never heard the stories themselves, and they acted like story hors d'oeuvres. So they were bits and pieces of stories that made us hungry for more stories. It was the same way with my grandpa Izzy. Izzy was my grandfather, but the fact is he died when I was four years old. And my one memory of him is being in his apartment in Cleveland, sitting, trying to teach him how to count. We said, Grandpa Izzy, it goes one. He said, all right, one. Two, all right, two. Three, all right, three. Now put it all together. One, three, two. No, Grandpa Izzy, no. And he had us convinced that he didn't know how to count. And we spent an hour there doing that. And what I was left with was that sense of this is not someone who's telling me a lot of stories. He wasn't. This is someone who has stories to tell. And it made me hungry for those stories. And as I went out in life, I found that what I got were bits and pieces of those stories. But sometimes those bits and pieces become stories themselves. I think what happens is you have a story that doesn't quite fit, and it becomes a seed. You plant it, and it grows into something wild. That wild thing is a tall tale. I see the same thing in my son, Elijah, who's four years old. Right at the moment, he's absolutely fascinated with Star Trek. Do you guys like Star Trek? Yeah. He is crazy about Star Trek. Now, but I I asked myself, I said, what interest does Star Trek have for a four-year-old boy? True, he's almost five. But I said, what is it you like so much about Star Trek? And he said, I watch and maybe they'll find it. I say, ah, find what? He said, what they're looking for. I said, ah, what are they looking for? He said, all over the galaxy. They're going to find it. It's a big piece of wood. (laughs) I said, what big piece of wood? He said, the captain's log. (laughs) And I didn't have the heart to tell him that that's not really what it's about. And he's constructing these stories in his head. It's funny how we latch on to something. The other day, our neighbor, Jay, was over, and he was telling us about a new place down on Shattuck Avenue here in Berkeley that makes... Great cinnamon buns. Jay said, best cinnamon buns ever. They'll knock your socks off. And Elijah's face lit up. And next day, in early morning, there he was tugging at me and said, we got to go, we got to go, Dad. I said, where, where? He said, the cinnamon bun place. Okay, so we go down to Shattuck. It's early Saturday morning to the cinnamon bun place. And we get a cinnamon bun, and they're good. They're really good. And I said, hey, these are good, huh, Elijah? He says, yeah. I said, you don't like it? He said, it's good. I said, what's the matter? He said, look. And he points down to his feet. He says, they're still on. It doesn't work. He really thought that they would knock his socks off. If you're going to talk about cinnamon buns, there's one place in the world that's famous for cinnamon buns. And that is up in Alaska, at the base of Mount McKinley, there's a ski resort called Alaska. And they serve a cinnamon bun unlike anything you've ever seen before. This is more than a cinnamon bun. It's a lifestyle. 
I liked it so much, I bought one just to take home. And I even got an extra suitcase to carry it in. These things have all kinds of things in them you would never think to put in a cinnamon bun, but they are delicious. They're fresh. And coming off of the snow on the mountain, eating this is a wonderful thing. And Alaska is really, of the places I've been, one of the greatest places for tall tales. It's true, for example, that mosquitoes in Alaska have their own landing pads at airports. That's true. And it's true that up in Alaska, they really do catch fish that are so big that just the picture of the fish weighs 12 pounds. That's what Alaska's like. Now, I know a lot of people say, no, no, no. Alaska's not the place for tall tales. Texas is. Right? And there's this kind of Alaska-Texas rivalry. Those two are pretty much the main ones, except for Louisiana. Anybody here been to Louisiana? Louisiana, they got tall tales. A lot of stories about snakes. They have a kind of snake there. It's very dangerous. What it does is it comes at you so fast that you don't have time to get away. It's called a hoop snake. What it'll do is it'll bite its tail and turn into a hoop and roll down the street after you. And the only way to escape from it is if you can scare it Boo! Really fast. Maybe it'll swallow itself. <laughs> but the real rivalry in stories tends to be between Alaska and Texas. And Alaskans like to say, when Texans get uppity, we threaten to cut our state in half and make Texas the third largest state. That's what they say at any rate. Texans like to go on and on about how big things are. And in fact, the biggest thing in Texas, I think, if memory served me right, is the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. I spent a week there one day. It is actually a tunnel that goes from Dallas to Fort Worth. You can walk from one city to the other. It's about 30 miles. Very long, huge airport. And that's where the story begins, is in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. A guy flies off to go see his cousin in Israel. Lives in Israel on a kibbutz. Texan calls it a kibbutz. So he goes there, and the Texan is looking around, and the Israeli is very proud and says, See this? This kibbutz is mine. I'm part of the group that owns it, so it's mine. And the Texan says, yeah, how big is it? You want to know how big it is? You see from that tree way over there to that rock way over there, the whole thing is mine. What do you think about that? The Texan looked and said, that ain't nothing. What do you mean that ain't nothing? It's big. He said, that ain't nothing. Back on my ranch, back in Texas, I can get in my car in the morning. I start to drive. Afternoon comes, I'm still driving. Evening comes, I'm still driving on my very own land. And the Israeli says, yeah, I used to have a car like that. (laughs) (laughs) Joel Ben Izzy with short snippets of tall tales. Up next, a story from Nora Dooley. Now, this is a story about a town that wants to make sure everyone is treated fairly, so they put a bell at the center of town called the Bell of Justice. And anyone can ring if they feel unjustly treated. But what happens when a horse rings the bell? Well, that's the story. The old horse of the Bell of Justice from Nora Dooley on the Appleseed. The Old Horse and the Bell of Justice Once upon a time, there was a good and a very wise king. He wished all the people in his city to be happy. Happiness, he reasoned, comes from peace. But peace comes most easily where there is justice. In order that justice might be done to everyone, this king ordered a great bell to be hung in the highest tower. Tied to the bell was a strong rope, so long that it reached nearly to the ground. 
I have placed the bell in the center of my city, said the king, so that it will be near all the people. The rope I have made long so that even the smallest child can reach it. My dear people, continued the king, if there be any one among you who feels that he or she has not been justly treated, let them come ring this bell. Then, whether you be old or young, whether you be rich or poor, your story shall be heard. Well, the bell of justice had hung in its place for many years. Many times it had been rung by the poor and needy, and to his honor, the king and his judges saw to it that justice had always been done. At length, the old rope became so worn with use and age that it had to be taken down. Another rope long enough and strong enough could not be found, so the king had to send far away for one. But what if if someone should need help while the rope is down, said one of the children. So the women went out and cut long grapevines and fashioned them into a rope, and the men fastened it to the great bell. This will work while we wait for the new rope, said the king. As it was springtime, green shoots and green leaves hung from the grapevine rope. Now at that same time, just outside the city, there lived a rich old farmer. This farmer had a horse that had been with him for many a year. In feast and in famine, she had served her master well. But now the horse had grown so old and so lame that she was no longer able to work, and the greedy farmer resented the food and water the horse consumed. After making her carry one more burden to the city, her master turned her out onto the streets. Eat horse, he said, and you might live. You are no use to me. And there he left her. So that poor old horse went, a limping bag of bones, searching for food along the city streets. Some pitied her and gave her scraps, but she grew hungrier and hungrier. Finally, she limped up to the tower where the bell of justice hung. Her dim eyes saw the green shoots and the fresh leaves of the grapevine. Thinking these might be good to eat, she gave a pull at the vine. Ding dong, ding dong, said the great bell, and people stopped their work and came running from all sides. Who is calling for justice, they cried. There stood the old horse pulling leaves from the grapevine rope. Ding dong, ding dong, rang the bell. Whose horse is this? asked the judges as they came running up too. Why, why, that is Farmer Bruno's mare, said one. Yes, yes, he rode upon her when he met his wife, said an old man. And every planting and harvest she worked from dawn to dusk, said the farmer's neighbor. It, it was she who drove his daughter and granddaughter to the church to be wed, said an old woman. The judges listened, and then they spoke. This horse, then, is calling for justice, and she shall have it. And then the judges sent for her cruel master. To him they said, You, you must build a warm barn, and there your faithful horse shall live the rest of her days, eating the best of hay and grain. Well, the shamed farmer led his horse away, and the people shouted for joy, and they rang all the bells for justice.
The Old Horse and the Bell of Justice from Nora Dooley. And up next, a story from Ishu Bumpus, who says that his primary goal as a storyteller is to help people be more confident in themselves. This is a Liberian tale about some animals that face a large problem. There's no more water. Here's Ishu Bumpus with Animals Make a Water Hole on the Appleseed. Whenever I make a new friend, especially if they come from somewhere in Africa... I like to ask for a song or a story. I met a man from Liberia, and he taught me this wonderful song and story about a time when the animals were trying to make a water hole. You see, there was a time when it hadn't rained for so long that the animals were desperate for some way to find water. They held a great meeting in a huge clearing in the center of the forest to discuss what to do. They met at dawn, and when they looked around to see who was there, they realized Tortoise wasn't there at the meeting yet, which was disappointing because, even though she was small and slow and very old, Tortoise was very wise. It was usually better to have her at the meetings. But they couldn't wait that day. They had to do something. So they discussed what to do, and they tried many things. They tried having the eagle fly as high as he could to see if he could find rain clouds and figure out some way to bring them to their forest. They sent runners everywhere, hoping one of them would find a water hole somewhere. But... It seemed there was nothing they could do. Finally, Antelope had an idea. She said, there's lots of water under the ground. If we could just figure out some way to make a hole deep enough, maybe we'd get to the water and bring it to the surface. They thought about it, and Elephant said, well, you know, when we elephants dance, it kicks up a lot of dust and dirt. I'd bet if we took turns all dancing in one spot, we'd kick up so much dirt that eventually it would make a deep hole there. Everyone loved to dance, so it sounded like a good idea. So they made a song that would mark each person's turn to dance in the center, and they put themselves in a great big circle. Now this song went like this So everybody would sing that and clap their hands in the circle. But the person who was in the center, instead of the second time saying kuputu kuputu they would say, I give my place to you, friend. And they would name the animal that would come next. So it would go something like this. I give my place to you, lion. And on and on like that. Each one taking a turn in the center of the circle. Well, they began to sing and dance. 
I give my place to you, Hyena. Lake I give my place to you, Lion. Oh, but they had a wonderful time dancing and singing all together in the circle. But they looked around and there was still no hole, even though they'd been dancing for hours. Well, just then, when the sun was high in the sky, who should come to the meeting? Mrs. Tortoise. Here she finally made it. They told her what they were doing, and she said, Oh, no, no, no. All you'll do like that is pack the ground even harder. If you want to make a hole, you have to dig. And if we all take turns digging... The work will be easier, and soon we'll have a hole deep enough to reach the water. And so, taking Mrs. Tortoise's advice, they began to take turns, digging and digging, carrying away the dirt, until finally, sure enough, they hit water. And it began to bubble up into that big hole, and everyone was so excited at last They could drink, and they could bathe, and they could cool off in that hot, dry sun. And so, all through that day, they enjoyed the water, and at the end of the day, just to celebrate, they sang their song again. We give our place to you, tortoise. And they danced and danced. So you see, it's best to listen to our elders when we want to get things done. I give my place to you, Hyena. I 
Animals Make a Waterhole from the musician and educator and musician Ishu Bumpus. Always a pleasure to share one of Ishu's stories with you. Up next, we're going to bring you a story from Willie Claflin. Now, in this story, uh, there are two brothers. The story comes from Hawaii. And the older is tasked with watching the younger each day at the beach, but much to his despair. The younger brother is kidnapped by the chief of a neighboring island. He doesn't have a choice. He decides to train in order to rescue his younger brother. How does that go? Well, here's Ka'ulu the Strong from Willie Claflin on the Appleseed. So, this is a story about Ka'ulu the Strong. This is on the island of Hawaii. Ka'ulu and Ka'ehu, they were brothers, yeah? And uh, one day they were swimming in the ocean, and Ka'ulu, he was the older brother, his mom called him over. She said, uh, hey, Ka'ulu, you come here, I want to talk to you. That's kind of how she was, you know. And he said, okay, mom. She said, now you listen to me. you got one job to do. You take care of your younger brother, Ka'ehu. Anything happens to Ka'ehu, it's your fault, Ka'ulu. And Ka'ulu said, okay, mom. So they went back swimming again. And Ka'ehu, he swam way far out. And Ka'ulu remembered what he told his mom, that he was going to take care of Ka'ehu. So he called out after him. He said, hey, Ka'ehu, that's too far. You come back here. But Ka'ehu thought to himself, just because he's my older brother doesn't mean he gets to tell me what to do. I do whatever I feel like. And he kept on swimming way far out. Well, along came the king of Far Island in his canoe. And the king of Far Island grabbed Ka'ehu, pulled him into the canoe, and took him away to Far Island. Ka'ulu tried to swim after the canoe, but you can't swim as fast as somebody can paddle a canoe. So he had to go home and tell his mother what had happened. And you can imagine what she said. She said, uh, I give you one job to do. And what happens? I give you one job to do. You cannot even do that. Now the whole family is ruined. It's your fault, Ka'ulu. So Ka'ulu went to his room. He started to cry. You know, his brother was gone. His mother was furious at him. But after a couple hours sitting there, he thought, well, I have to do something to figure out how to get Ka'ehu back again. And the only thing he could think of was to practice the whole time he was growing up, getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, until finally he could go rescue his brother if his brother still had the good luck to be alive on Far Island. So the whole rest of the time he was growing up, Ka'ulu lifted bigger and bigger rocks. He swam farther and farther. He climbed taller and taller trees. He exercised until he was the strongest man on all the islands. And everybody called him Ka'ulu the Strong. Now, he had a funny habit. Ka'ulu had a strange habit. He talked to his hands. People would have made fun of him, but they didn't dare because he was Ka'ulu the Strong. Whenever he was going to do something with his hands, he would go, uh, left hand, right hand, let's go. Try that with me. Left hand, right hand, let's go. And every time he'd done something really good with his hands, like squeeze the milk right out of a coconut, he would shake hands with himself. He'd go, left hand, right hand, good job. Try that. Left hand, right hand. Good job. So finally he thought, okay, I think I'm strong enough now. And he took his koa wood paddle. He got in his canoe. He paddled out across the water. But the king of Far Island had spies and servants everywhere. And he sent great rolling surf across the water to drown Ka'ulu. Great rolling surf was a wave maybe ten times as tall as his room. And when Ka'ulu paddling along saw great rolling surf coming towards him, he said, whoa, great rolling surf, you strong? And great rolling surf, he said, uh, yes, I'm strong. But he was so big, you know. His voice was so big, it was as if everybody in this room was to say, yes, I'm strong, at the same time. That gives you some idea how loud his voice was. So let's try that on the count of three. Yes, I'm strong, okay? One, two, three. Yes, I'm strong! Ka'ulu didn't care. He just looked at his hands. He said, left hand, right hand, 
Let's go. Great rolling surf came right down on top of Kaulu, but Kaulu just went, hmm, chop, 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 chop. He chopped great rolling surf up into a thousand tiny little waves about that big, and they skittered off in all directions, and Kaulu was so proud of his hands, he said, hey, left hand, right hand, good job. Kept on paddling till he got to the shore of Far Island. When he got to the shore of Far Island, the king of Far Island sent down his next servant, Great Stone Man. And Great Stone Man was a man maybe ten times as tall as his room with eight heads all made out of stone and each one more ugly than the last one. And Kaulu looked up at him. He said, Whoa, Great Stone Man, you strong? And Great Stone Man said, One, two, three. Yes, I'm strong. Kaulu wasn't worried. He knew how strong his hands were. He just said, Hey, left hand, right hand. Let's go. Great Stone Man reached down and grabbed hold of Kaulu. But Kaulu, he grabbed hold of Great Stone Man and did not let go. He wouldn't let go for a whole week, a whole month, a whole year. In fact, he held on to Great Stone Man for two years. Great Stone Man could not move even half an inch. And finally, because he couldn't move at all, grass started sprouting up all over him. And flowers started growing all over him. And little trees started coming up all over him. And he just turned into a stone hillside there on the coast of Far Island, and Kaulu was so proud of his hands for hanging on for so long, he said, hey, left hand, right hand, good job. Up the side of the mountain, he went to where the king of Far Island was. King of Far Island sent down his next servant, Great Barking Dog. Great Barking Dog was a dog maybe three times as long as this room. And Kaulu looked up at Great Barking Dog coming down the side of the mountain. He said, oh, Great Barking Dog, you strong? And Great Barking Dog said, one, two, three. Kaulu was not the least bit worried. He just looked at his hands. He said, hey, left hand, right hand, let's go. Great barking dog came right down on top of Kaulu, but Kaulu just went, chop, 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 chop. He chopped great barking dog up into a thousand little pieces. And each piece of great barking dog, each piece turned into a little puppy dog. And they ran off in all directions. Kind of like that. And Kaulu was so proud of his hands. He said, left hand, right hand, good job up the side of the mountain towards where the king of Far Island was. King of Far Island had only one more servant, Great Rock. And he came bounding down the side of the mountain, and Kaulu said, Whoa, Great Rock, you strong? And Great Rock said, One, two, three. Yes, I'm strong! Kaulu was not at all worried. He just looked at his hands. He said, Left hand, right hand. Let's go. Great Rock came right down on top of Kaulu, but Kaulu just pointed the tips of his fingers. And the second that Great Rock hit the tips of Kaulu's fingers, Great Rock broke into a thousand pieces and went showering over Kaulu's head down the side of the mountain. And Kaulu was so proud of his fingers, he said, uh, left finger, right finger, good job, up to the top of the mountain. There was the king of Far Island. Now, the king of Far Island was a mean man, but it also happened that he was a coward. And so Kaulu went right up to him. He said, uh, King of Far Island, you strong? And the King of Far Island said, No, I'm not very strong. <laughs> and Kaulu said, Maybe you better tell me what you did with my brother Kaehu. And the King of Far Island said, Oh, he's down in the bay with the chief of sharks. So Kaulu ran down the side of the mountain. There was the chief of sharks out in the bay, stirring up the water with his tail. And Kaulu said, Chief of sharks, you come here. I want to talk to you. And the chief of sharks said, I'd like to talk to you too, Kaulu. And he came over close to the shore. Kaulu said, chief of sharks, I want to know what you did with my brother, Kaehu. And the chief of sharks said, I swallow him all. He inside my stomach, brah. But don't worry, lots more room, room for you too. And Kaulu said, you know, instead of me coming inside your stomach, 
I think I'm going to have my brother come out instead. So he grabbed hold of the chief of sharks' jaws, and he pried him as far open as he could. And sure enough, chief of sharks had swallowed Ka'ehu whole, and Ka'ehu just walked right out of the shark's stomach. He said, hey, Ka'ulu, how's it? And Ka'ulu said, hold on a sec. So he reached around, and he grabbed the chief of sharks right by the tail, and he swung him around, and he started swinging him around his head. He swung him around faster and faster till there was just a gray blur over his head, and he let go of the chief of sharks. Chief of sharks flew up, hit the top of the sky, broke into about 10,000 little pieces across the top of the sky. And if you look up at the Milky Way, and you can see the shape of the chief of sharks right where Ka'ulu threw him. Ka'ulu and Ka'ehu got in the canoe. They paddled back home. Their mother was so glad to see Ka'ehu, had not seen him in many years. She gave him a big hug. She said, oh, my baby, I'm so glad you're home. And Ka'ulu, you did a pretty good job of taking care of your brother after all. And Ka'ulu said, hey, left hand, right hand, good job. Willie Claflin with Ka'ulu the Strong here on the Appleseed. That's about all the time we have today. It's been a pleasure to bring you stories from Willie Claflin, from Ishu Bumpus, from Nora Dooley, from the Story Crafters, and more. And, of course, a pleasure to chat with Paul Ricks as well. This hour was written by Trent Horton. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison. Find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed for more stories and tellers that are already your favorites as well as storytellers who will become favorites as you listen. I'm Sam Payne and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.